another edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. I am your host, Josh Bass, going solo today uh, without Marcus Barahal, getting you up to date on some of the Nets' recent games, a 2-1 and stretch with victories over the Chicago Bulls and Phoenix Suns and a loss to the Indiana Pacers. And I'll also be breaking down some uh, some of the forwards on the Nets, including our Latvian savior, Rodion's Kurutz. All that and next on the Locked On Nets podcast. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get started here with Locked On Nets segment one. Uh, First of all, just wanted to issue an apology to you guys. Uh, I know that the uh, last week or so hasn't been uh, a lot of content. Apologies for that. Uh, Me and Marcus's schedules didn't align. And then when they were about to align, I got very sick over the weekend with a virus. And that took me out of commission. And then that also coincided with Marcus's trip. Uh, to Arizona to visit his lovely girlfriend, Sarah. So, uh, you know, that stuff came first, and uh, I'm back here, and Marcus will be back later in the week, and we'll get synced up to give you guys some uh, high-level Nets coverage and really break down the games that we know what we are capable of and that you guys want to hear. But figured I would go solo to give a a brief brief thoughts on the Nets' two wins and one loss over the last few days. And also talk about some of my feelings on on some of the forwards in the roster, Jared Dudley and his resurgence, Rodion Kurutz and his emergence, and then guys who I'm souring on a bit, Damari Carroll and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. But first, let's get started with the the Bulls game. Because, you know, this wasn't the most exciting game. Nets took this one 96-93, clearly um, a bit tired on a back-to-back, had that six-game winning streak rolling, all the adrenaline that came with the victory over the Lakers and that that awesome game. Um, but, you know, I think this one showed showed resilience to be able to go on the road. And, you know, the Bulls are terrible, but still being able to go on the road and get a victory, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you know, they were down 86 to 80 with six minutes left, and they, they took the game over. Dinwiddie with the great defense on that last play to make up for his gaffe, um, which led to the shot clock violation. You know, his defense has been hit or miss this year, but I thought that showed a lot of development. Um, the shot selection wasn't great down the stretch, definitely left a lot to be desired. Same theme in the Indiana, Indianapolis game, um, or Indiana game, sorry. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think it was good. Um, it was good to get that win. Jarrett Allen obviously had that huge first quarter and then was pretty silent the rest of the game. Kind of reminded me of those uh, those times almost when Brooke Lopez was a net and he would just be on fire with maybe 12 or 14 points in the first quarter and then would end the game with 18 just because it's hard to get uh, a big man the ball consistently. So Jarrett Allen ended up with 16 and 12, and I believe he had 12 of those points in the first quarter alone. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, obviously the big big hero here, 27 points on 8 of 15 from the field, continued his streak of getting to the line eight times, uh, and this was a good victory for the Nets. Um, also, big thing I want to point out, Robin Lopez, his new look, I I love the, I mean, he's always had the crazy hair and I think that's awesome, but now that he has the goatee, he just looks so ridiculous and his brother always goes with like a very straight laced vibe. I mean, he used to have like the mini fro, uh, but now he's just gone with the short cropped haircut for years 
And I know Zach Lowe talked about this on his podcast with Brooke Lopez, that they just have the completely polar opposite look, but they're both interested um, in comic books and roller coasters. Uh, so I, I love the Lopez family so much. And I, I want to get them on the same team at some point. Uh, but yeah, great victory for the Nets on, on this one. Um, you know, Indiana game, I'll talk about that a little bit. It was, you know, I, I think Rody Kurutz obviously had the huge game in this one, 24 points, going four or five from three, and he hit some tough threes. I mean, they weren't always these open catch-and-shoot looks. He hit this one coming off a screen, which I thought was really good for his development. But Indiana's a really tough team for the Nets because basically everyone in their rotation can can score, and the Nets have a lot of guys like a Rondé Halvis Jefferson who really struggles with his efficiency. D'Angelo Russell as well. Damari Carroll, even though he had a decent game, struggles uh, oftentimes. Jared Dudley can't create his own shot. When you look at the Pacers, really their entire team can can score and get their own looks. I mean, Sabonis and Miles Turner can do that. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich, Thaddeus Young, of course, Victor Oladipo. Um, but the Nets had had a great run here. Uh, there, Indianapolis is Indiana. I keep saying that. I get confused with the Colts and uh, the Pacers just because one is Indianapolis and one is Indiana. Um, they're, they're a tough team because they're very quick on defense. Their guards, especially Oladipo, Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, Holiday as well fits into this. They can recover so quickly on shooters because they are so fast. It makes it hard for the Nets because the three-pointers that normally would be open looks, they just get their 10% more difficult, and that 10% can make a difference on a couple shots. Uh, but yeah, first quarter, the Nets were getting beat to the ball constantly. Just no resistance or energy there. Uh, Kuritz did a nice job keeping them into it with his energy, and he had the the play that was an obvious goaltend that the refs didn't catch, which should have given him an extra two points in that quarter. Um, but the Nets had a chance late, and they got uh, destroyed at the end. Questionable shot selection. Spencer Dinwiddie didn't have his best game. He was still better than D'Angelo Russell, who really struggled one of eight from the field. Uh, and, you know, they both had nine assists and four turnovers. The thing that I've been noticing, I, I think Russell is definitely the better pure passer in the sense that he has really good vision. He can deliver the ball on time. But almost... It hurts him in a sense because he's he's very slow, obviously. I'm not going to belabor the point, but he really struggles to to get to spots and break down the defense where he can make those passes. So even though he has a better better court vision than Spencer Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie is able to generate a lot more passing opportunities almost because he can beat his man and, and break down the defense and find open kickouts. And it's not to say Dinwiddie has terrible vision, uh, but it's not as good as Russell's. But I think Dinwiddie... Uh, as a whole, might be a better passer and can generate more assists, and that's why he has a higher assist percentage because he generates more opportunities for himself. So I think that's becoming a, a big differentiator that I've noticed. Um, but the net, I mean, 20 turnovers, that's just not going to get it done. Um, missed some key free throws late. It's Rody Kurutz went 2 of 4 from the line in big situations. Jared Dudley went 0 for 2. Um, but he had a really great game. You know, three of four from three. He was knocking down key shots for the Nets when they needed him. Joe Harris, three of five as well. You know, when, when the Nets, you go 16 of 31 from three in a game. You expect to win it. It's it's really devastating that you don't. But the Pacers are a really good team. Uh, the Nets played them hard. And, and I love Kenny Atkinson's rant at the end uh, once he got kicked out because he was fired up. And, and he had a right to be because then the refs missed a couple calls. They weren't great all night. Uh, things got a bit chippy at the end, which the, the refs didn't do a good job of containing. So I love seeing the fire from Kenny. And that's, you know, the players love him because he sticks up for them and because he's he's a player's coach. But uh, not the Nets' finest performance. Jared Allen was a guy 
who finished with 10 points on three of three shooting from the field, four of four on free throws, but just didn't affect the game that much. Sabonis went off. Miles Turner had a good game as well. And I feel like those guys both just kind of had their way with Jared Allen. He wasn't able to affect uh, affect the game as much. I still, I still think he's figuring out it out a bit. He's a lot better against bad teams than he is against good teams, just because he can find his way open for those easy lob dunks and teams that are good defensively, like Indiana, really shut him down. But good effort from him. Good effort from him. And even though it wasn't as impactful as we wanted to, um, I think it's still a step in the right direction that he was so efficient from the field uh, and had a decent offensive game, even though his defense left a lot to be desired. Um, so yeah, that, that was that one. You know, the Nets blew that hugely late. I thought they had a really good comeback, um, but just lost to a better team at the end of the day. And uh, that's fine. Those games are always going to happen. Um, just poor execution down the stretch, and you hope they learn from it moving forward. Um, a Phoenix game, we can talk about that quickly as well. Uh, it wasn't super noteworthy. I thought Spencer Dinwiddie did a good job as well, getting to the line nine times, converting eight of those free throws. Phoenix is just really bad. Um, I, they have a couple nice pieces. I thought Bridges did a really good job on defense. DeAndre Ayton, his defense wasn't as bad as um, I expected. And obviously, offensively, he's just a beast with his offensive rebounding. And he's so strong um, and huge. Uh, he, there's one play where he was, um, stood side by side with Ed Davis and he just completely, um, made Ed Davis look like a foot shorter. He was, uh, he's an imposing guy and 26 points on 13 of 16 from the field. He had a really nice game. Uh, Devin Booker, I wasn't super impressed with him. I mean, obviously he finishes with a nice stat line, 25 points and nine assists, but I think his shot selection needs a lot of work. When you take 23 shots and only four of those are three pointers for someone with his touch, he should be um, kind of making that proportion higher. A lot of his looks were, were mid-rangers or floaters in the lane, which were contested. Um, I think he could increase his efficiency if he were to take more um, three-pointers or focus more on getting to the line, like more of a, a James Harden school of thought. But Nets, I mean, Kurutz in this game was huge. 16 points, 10 rebounds. He missed a couple of easy shots, but the guy's energy is infectious. He's so good at timing that baseline cut. And it's something that I, I noticed from Boyan Bogdanovich when he was a rookie with the Nets, when he was the, the fifth starter in that starting lineup uh, and kind of came out of nowhere. But it's really, if you can create one or two easy baskets per game, that's huge for your efficiency and for the team's success. Because, um, I mean, four dunks, it really is a, a great way of energizing the crowd. Um, D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie were finding him, so credit to those guys. But I'm really excited what we've seen of Kuritz. I think he's going to be an awesome player. He's a pretty good defender also. I mean, he's very uh, energetic. He's active. He can guard multiple positions. I thought he did a decent job in, against Indiana when he was guarding Oladipo. I wish they would have stuck with him late on Oladipo instead of Spencer Dinwiddie because even though Spencer has the tools to be a good defender, one, the consistency isn't always there uh, as it has been in past years. And two, Spencer spending so much energy on the offensive end that at times it really is hard for him to lock in on defense. So I think being able to use Kurutz against really top wing scorers, I mean, he's going to take his lumps. But over time, I think that will be good for his development. Um, also, Ed Davis, 15 points on 7 of 8 shooting. He was so good. I know the free throw thing only went 1 of 7 from the line. Phoenix was doing the hack-a-shack on him. Uh, and that was a struggle to watch. But he was just so good at um, his scoring inside, and James Herbert of CBS wrote that great piece on him. And everyone loves Ed Davis, including myself, and uh, I believe Marcus as well, and I'm sure you guys love Ed Davis as well. 
Um, so we're running long on this segment. I'll, I'll fu- we'll wrap up uh, after the break with a couple more thoughts on this Phoenix game, and then we'll do our forward breakdown for a little bit. Welcome back to Locked On Nets. Uh, quick couple thoughts here, wrapping up the Nets 111-103 win against the dreadful Phoenix Suns. Uh, Jared Allen, when he hit that three, that was so pure. Uh, I, you know, it's it's funny because I've railed on him a lot for taking that corner three, and he's airballed a lot of them, and some have been in key situations, which makes me pull my, my luscious hair out. Uh, but him hitting that one was nice, and I'm sure it also felt nice for his confidence. Um, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I thought, was absolutely horrible. He was one of three from the field, four of eight from the line, turned the ball over three times. I think... It's, it's tough because Rondé right now, uh, and also last year especially, was being asked to be a, a primary creator for this team. And if he ever lands on a, a good playoff caliber team, four or five seed, there he's not going to be asked to do that. And if he has a role on that kind of team, it will be being a defensive stopper, glue guy, and that's really not how he scores any of his points. Uh, he doesn't score on cuts. He doesn't score on offensive rebounds. He just tries to be that one-on-one ISO threat, and he kind of sucks at it. And there are a lot of times where he's getting a rebound, grabbing and going, and I'm screaming at my TV, no, no, pass the ball to a guard, and he just will run one on four, and it'll it'll be an offensive foul, he'll throw it away, and he really, I know Kenny Atkinson, a lot of what he does is he wants to empower players to develop new skills, but for Rondé's career, I mean, looking at him right now, would the Nets want to bring him back? I don't really think so, Um, and I'll get into this in a second, I just want to wrap up this game, but I think Rondé really has to take a look at what he wants to do moving forward with his career because he needs to focus on the things that will make him successful long-term. And then quickly on D'Angelo Russell in this game, he finished with a a nice counting stats, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists, but 6 of 18 from the field. I thought his shot selection was pretty bad, settling for a lot of tough mid-rangers, and that's what he does. And when he hits those shots, it looks great, and when he doesn't, then he has a stat line like tonight. Um, and also seven turnovers. A lot of those were just careless, um, times where he's dribbled the ball off his foot, just throwing it away. Uh, and, and, you know, I do have to give him credit for his defensive effort. I think he's gotten a lot better. He's went from awful to simply just below average because his effort has been really good. He's getting in passing lanes. Uh, he's never going to be even an average defender just because his physical tools limit him. He's not the strongest player in the world. He can get beat one-on-one. Sometimes there are momentary lapses, but to raise his defense like he has, it's, it, it means that he put in a lot of effort. And I think that's a great sign. And he's making the most out of his limited athletic tools. Uh, and that's all you can hope for. Does it mean I want the Nets to give him uh, a three-year, $60 million contract? No, but I do pr- appreciate the effort he's put in. And it makes me Um, it's an encouraging sign for him long-term as a player for a guy that's had a couple character concerns in the past when he was with the Lakers. And also it makes me feel good about the Nets player development staff for being able to, uh, maximize the most of his defensive potential, even though it is limited. Um, so we'll quickly talk about some of these Nets forwards. Wanted to give you guys some thoughts of, of where I am on these guys. Uh, first let's start with Jared Dudley, our boy JD. Um, he has been awesome lately. He's shooting the three really well. He's up to 33% for the season on threes, and that's way below his career average of 39%, but um, he started this year very slowly, and he's been hot, and um, he's playing really well on offense. Four assists each of the last two games, and he's only turned the ball over once in that stretch. He's doing his dribble handoff thing. We all know about how good of a game he had against the Lakers, and he's making a really positive impact just through his intelligence and, and defense and 
being smarter than guys. He knows how to had take an angle to the basket where um, some guys might, if with his limited tools, if they don't take the right angle, they'll get blocked. He knows how to cut off the defender's path. So at the very worst, he's getting fouled. And I'm super high on Jared Dudley right now. I think the way he's playing, a contender could want him for limited minutes off the bench, but I would be fine keeping him playing the season out. I think he's a great influence on some of the younger guys like Rodi Kurutz and Jana Musa. So uh, I, I, honestly, I don't think the Nets are going to get enough back for JD, or if anything, really, maybe a like a f- top 55 protected second rounder. And at that point, you might as well say, hey, this guy's helping us right now. Let's keep him in the fold and see where it goes. Um, so next, we will talk about Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Rondé, Rondé, Rondé. So I spoke about Rondé a, a minute ago, but I'm really, I'm really souring on him. I think that... There's too much of him wanting to go one-on-one and showcase his offensive game, and his offensive game sucks, and it's gotten better since he got into the league. I mean, bef- when he first got um, into the NBA, he couldn't take more than two dribbles without stumbling around and throwing the ball away, and at least he doesn't do that anymore. He still is turnover-prone, and it looks terrible when he does turn the ball over, which might be a reason that I'm biased against him, but I think it's coming to the point where he's a restricted free agent. I don't know if the Nets are going to want to re-sign him. And it might be where, let's just see what we can get for him. Some bad team might want to take a look at him uh, and see if they can at least get his restricted rights before he hits the market. But 47% from the field last year, now down to 41%. 79% on free throws 2017-2018 year, down to 65% this year. That's a huge difference. And, um, you know, it, it makes me concerned that he's regressed like that. And uh, as a defender, he's still decent and helpful because he's long, he can switch, but he's not that shutdown one-on-one guy that I expected when he first came into the league. Um, and he has those lapses, and he's not really making those impact plays. He's not blocking shots. He's not um, picking, uh, running, the, shooting the gap for steals like a Kurutz does on occasion like some other guys do. He's more of a, a stay-at-home defender, uses his length to contest, which is fine, but you need more of an impact guy, and he thinks he's this uh, offensive stalwart, and he's not. He has a 47% true shooting percentage. Uh, I can't tell you how bad that is, and for someone that um, his usage is the same as last year, but his true shooting percentage is down seven points, and he keeps wasting possessions almost, and I feel like he's a big drain on the offense, um, and you know, especially because the Nets don't have any shooting centers at this point. It's Jared Allen and Ed Davis, and hopefully Jared Allen's range does come in the future, but he's the center of the future uh, and the present, and he doesn't have any range. Ed Davis has been an excellent backup this year. Hopefully the Nets keep him, but Rondé just doesn't really fit well with those guys, and he's not running the baseline for cuts. Um, He's not trying to get on the offensive glass. He just is kind of hanging around in the mid-range, and I don't think he's ever going to develop his three-point shot either, and he struggles to finish at the rim. His athleticism, really since his... um, after he came back from his uh, ankle injury, his rookie season, his in, his ankle and his ex- explosiveness has really never been the same. And every once in a while, he'll recapture to make a highlight play. Uh, but for the most part, he's just kind of an average to, I'd even say below average for a wing athlete. Um, and it, for someone like that, their defensive ceiling is limited. Um, their offensive ceiling, his offensive ceiling is already limited just because he has no shot whatsoever. And he can hit a 15-footer, but that's really it. And um, I'm just struggling to see what his role is going to be on this team next year. And it sucks because he seems like just the nicest guy in the world. He's really taken a liking to Brooklyn. He's been here for four seasons now. He's the longest tenure net, but I just don't see him with a place 
on this Nets team as they take that evolution to hopefully um, making the playoffs and then being a playoff contender. So I would see what I can get for Rondé on the market, even if it's just a second round pick. If it's a decent one, maybe you take that. And then when June comes, you can package a couple seconds, move up, or package a second with the Denver pick if to move up two or three slots if there's someone that you really have your eye on. Uh, and it gives Sean Marks more weapons at his disposal. But especially with Alan Crabb coming back, um, you have Logjam at forward. You have Kurutz, who's playing great. Jared Dudley, who's playing really well. And then two guys in Damari Carroll and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson who are really stinking up the joint. So uh, where is Crabb going to take his minutes from? If it's a meritocracy, it should be from one of RHJ or Damari Carroll. We'll see. Maybe a trade could solve that. Um, so we'll take a, another break here on Locked On Nets. But after that, we'll continue the forward breakdown and then go rapid fire through some news, including Jean and Musa's injury. Locked on Nets, last segment here. Uh, Damari Carroll, let's talk about him a little bit in our forward check-in. Uh, he has also been terrible this year. He's shooting 35% from the field, 31% from three. And he had a nice game against Indiana, 16 points, 6 of 12 from the field, 3 of 7 from three. Followed that up with a absolutely dreadful game against Phoenix, didn't score in 29 minutes. And he just hasn't been making any plays. I mean, he's known as someone who can get in passing lanes. And last year, I thought he really had a lot of energy, especially when the opposing team would get a defensive rebound. He would do that thing where he'd sneak behind and try to knock it away. And it was pretty successful. But looking at at where he's been, the last 92 minutes spanning four games has not had a single steal or a single block. That's incredible to me because last year, the guy was making plays. He has averages one steal a game for his career. But it just seems like his athleticism has been completely sapped, and we thought it was this, the, that way when uh, the Nets traded for him from Toronto. He had a bit of a resurgence last year, hitting 37% from three, but it's been 24 games, and he just hasn't gotten into a rhythm at all. Uh, you know, he's he keeps trying to uh, create his own offense, which is something I noticed last year, that he doesn't really pass a lot or ever make that um, next pass to when he's open, making a pass to the more wide-open man. Um, he's someone that always tries to do that one trick where he'll drive in and put his arms under the defender and try to do that foul seeking behavior that James Harden does. And when it works, it's great. And when it doesn't, he looks like a complete idiot. Um, but I, I'm a bit frustrated with Damari. I just don't think he has a place on this team moving forward. I would be hopeful that Sean Marks is looking out there and saying, can we get anything for this guy? Maybe a team, um, is looking to, uh, just get someone who could be even a serviceable 3 and D guy, and they say, hey, Damari Carroll's available. Um, he's a, a decent name. Maybe a return back to Memphis where he started his career could be something. Houston, maybe. Um, there are a lot of teams that are looking for those wings, and maybe someone will take a shot on him uh, and hope he can get, get it back together. It's pretty unlikely just because he has a $15 million salary, and the Nets obviously aren't going to take on um, money long-term for him. But uh, what I'm assuming is most likely is that post-trade deadline, the Nets will just buy him out and say, Damari, um, you've been a class act since you've been here. You have a great relationship with Kenny Atkinson. Now go try to chase a ring or, or spend your time, your twilight years on a playoff contender while we can take a look at Jean and Musa, who is out for a month with a shoulder injury. Um, and, you know, I've, I'm, I'm lukewarm on Musa. I think that he has a lot of good qualities. I can't admit to watching his G League games, but I've watched a couple highlights. I've been very impressed with his passing vision. 
I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to score efficiently at the NBA level just due to his lack of athleticism. But if he really starts shooting the three ball well, then then it's a good chance. And, you know, it's the 29th pick in the draft. Those things are always, uh, you're going for the you're going for a home run there. If you hit it, that's great. If not, that's fine. It's a late round, late first rounder. Um, but he's shooting 35.6% from three at the G League level. Still a young guy, still someone with a lot of potential, um, but, but won't get my hopes too high, but he will be out for a month, um, and that will uh, harm his development for a little, but hopefully he can get back out there around the um, all-star break and keep playing for the G League team and get some more reps in as a featured part of the Long Island Nets. Um, but also, I don't want Damari Carroll to take time away from our boy, Rodi Kurutz, because Rodi Kurutz is the truth. The guy has come in and just been such a bright spot on this Nets team. Um, really good energy, good defender, can hit shots, get to the basket. Uh, there's really nothing this guy can't do. And, you know, I'm, I'm really uh, ashamed of my hometown team, or I guess my adopted home team, Barcelona, for benching Rodi Kurtz because he's such a good player. Um, I love this guy. He's only 20 years old, turning 21 in February. I think he's going to be a, a really good player. Does he have all-star potential? I'm not entirely sure. Maybe he does, but I think he's going to be a very good starter at the very least and someone who's on such a cheap contract that it's going to be a huge win for this Nets team. And it shows that they can continue to develop these guys. And Rody has been a absolute pleasure to watch this year. And he's someone that once Crab comes back, I'm not sure if you can take him out of the starting lineup. And he has to be getting at least 20 minutes a game just because of the energy he brings. He's been um, great to watch for this Nets team. They're playing really well with him out there. So there's no way he can go back to the bench now. And it'll be interesting to see how Kenny Atkinson figures the rotation out uh, once Crab comes back. And I'm not going to hold my breath for that because Alan Crab has been out seven games and counting. It was a, a sore knee that the Nets said was minor. It continues to linger. We're not sure when he's going to come back. Kenny said hopefully sometime uh, in this holiday season. That's the next week or so. Um, but, you know, Crab was playing really well before he got hurt. Hitting a lot of threes would be a nice element to have back to this Nets team. But unless a trade happens, uh, Kenny's going to have a tough job jiggering the playing time. And if he's doing it fairly, Rondé will take a dip in minutes. Damari Carroll will be the one taking the biggest dip in minutes because JD, Jared Dudley's playing really well. Kruitz can't take him out of the starting lineup. So uh, I, I think that he's going to, one, ease Crab back in, and then two, look for Rondé to take a, a minutes dip and also Damari Carroll. Um, that will do it for this edition of Locked on Nets. Appreciate you guys sticking with us. During our uh, few-day hiatus, Marcus and I will get back in sync this week. The Nets play the Charlotte Hornets uh, tomorrow or today, depending on when you're listening to this and depending on when Gavin can get this uploaded. Producer Gavin, uh, everybody. So we'll see what happens there. The Nets have a big game against the Hornets for their playoff positioning, um, and they need to split one at least uh, and win one of these next two games against Charlotte. But it will be a tough test because Kemba Walker can go off and the Nets might not have the answer, but uh, I think they have a good shot tomorrow night, and I like the energy they're playing with. Um, and we'll see if this push from the, for the eighth seed can continue. Um, until then, be well.